Hey there, heathens. I'm John, the Godless Engineer. Hi, I'm Aaron Rod. Hi, this is Andrew Jasko. This is Don Queen from the Godless Heathens Podcast. Hello, I'm Dr. Hector Garcia. Hi, this is Owen from Rex and Owen and the Skeptical Texans. Hey, I'm Stephen Woodford of Rationality Rules. Hi, I'm Thomas Westbrook of Holy Kool-Aid. Hi, this is Matt Delahunty. Hi, this is Britt and Nikki from Unapologetics. Hi, I'm Donald Trump, and I took a rip. Wait, which one second? I gotta put my hands up here. Yeah. Just go ahead, Robert. Just go. Hi, I'm Robert Stanley of the Right to Reason podcast, and I, I took, a took a left at the, at the valley. valley. And we. Oh, should I say it too? No, sorry. Sure. <laughs> I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an as the new year begins, this is Left in the Valley. My name is Kevin, and the nurse asked me to help deliver a baby. I said it's probably better for that kid to keep his liver. Uh, it's kind of a vital organ. Joining me as usual is a team that wonders which letter is silent in scent. Is it the S or the C? I have to think about it, this one. Neither. I think they're both pronounced, but at the same time. Mm -hmm. She'll tell you that your future self is watching you right now through memories. Christina. Hello. It's true, though. Hello, future self. It's very true. And she wonders why they call it rush hour when nothing moves. Kirsten. I have actually wondered that. Yeah. I think it's because everyone thinks they're all trying to rush somewhere at the same time, and then it just doesn't work. Yeah, all these people have to go somewhere. Go back, go back home. That's literally where they're trying to go. <laughs> <laughs> do what we do. Take an alternate route. Yeah. Ladies, welcome back. It's good to be here. It yeah. is. It is. With, so with delicious coffee. Yes. Is it better? It yet? is so good. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, I'm glad. it's I'm glad. really. It's like sweet, but like not too sweet. Mm, I love it. Well, we don't have our little Nancy with us today. That's okay. We wish her well anyway. We're all safe. She's off on a mission somewhere. That's right. Probably assassinating somebody again. Probably. Uh, or but, saving a kitten. <laughs> or saving a kitten. Oh, it's one or the other, right? Yep. <laughs> but today we'll be talking to our, his, well, one of our favorite historian, Richard Carrier. We'll be talking about the historicity of some uh, characters, whether past, yeah, past, yeah. We, we can't really talk None about future. No, we can't talk <laughs> future. Historical. Future historical events. <laughs> Or can we? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, but first, let's do a bit of chit-chat. Um, so, uh, so so it turns out that uh, Facebook is going to ban white supremacists Good. or statements praising white supremacists after uh, talks uh, and uh, after talks exposing some uh, race relations. How do you guys feel about that? Well, I don't. I was just saying before we started recording that I don't really go on Facebook very much. No, but, you know. <laughs> but I think... That Facebook can be used so easily to radicalize people. Yes, yeah. absolutely. That it's stopping that before it even starts. Yes, and this good. is obviously in response to what happened in New Zealand uh, yeah. last week there. Was it last week? I actually, a week yeah, ago? it was oh, last week. week. Well, anyway, so good old Facebook for doing so. Um, speaking of uh, white supremacists, remember that Charlottesville thing with yes. the Tiki Torches in Virginia? And uh, the guy who... Uh, James Alex Fields, 25. Who? He ran over, over somebody Heather with his Heyer. car. Heather Heyer. Yeah. And uh, he basically killed Heather Heyer. 
Uh, well, he uh, he pleaded guilty uh, in a deal to avoid the death penalty. Holy shit, he could have got the death penalty? Mm-hmm. Jesus Apparently. Christ, America. Stop killing people for <laughs> killing people. It doesn't work. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, so... Uh, yeah, that was when he killed the the victim, uh, Heather Heyer, at uh, the age of 32. So he pleaded mm-hmm. guilty. So it's going to be interesting to see that. Are you guys uh, Game of Thrones fans by any chance? Yes. I am. I'm just way far behind. I haven't actually seen the most recent season because I'm waiting for Kirsten. But I am so excited for it to come back on. Well, did you guys hear that the HBO hit uh, has hid six, ga- uh, six Thrones replica as a stunt for the last year of Game of Thrones? I did, the world. Hear, I did hear Seriously? a tidbit on this. Yes. Because there was somebody that found one. Yeah, exactly. That's the, the story where? that I saw. They found one right here in Tumblr Ridge. Wait, In where? BC. Seriously? Yes. There's one in BC? Yeah, there's a couple, uh, Kevin and Bridget Sharman. Uh, they discovered the throne number five in Tumblr Ridge, BC. It was apparently by a creek by the highway. Oh my That's hilarious. gosh. Could you imagine being the people trying to figure out where to hide them? Well, I, I hope they just had a massive map and threw darts. Well, I don't oh, know, I but they hit them all. I, I, you know, Tumblr Ridge is kind of a snowy area. Oh. So I think they were trying to replicate maybe all some of the... Uh, passages. So somebody uh, look in the desert. Maybe. You know. There you go. Okay. Exactly, right? So uh, apparently there were clues, there were visual clues as to where the thrones were, and the couple kind of recognizes, hey, hey, we kind of walk by that creek there on yeah. a regular basis. So they went back thinking, you know, and there it was, that you know, almost by the highway, and they thought, they thought no, nobody noticed it, apparently, and I they hope, were the first ones. I hope they sat in it and got, like, all the pictures. Well, apparently there's kind of like a, a way to do it. You, you're supposed to go there, and so, some people actually came out, kind of like dressed up like Game of Thrones uh, attire and stuff like that and they kind of ask him the question what are you going to do with the throne and you're supposed to answer so oh going to sit gosh. in it or something like that and that's how you <laughs> that's how you win whatever prize there is right that's so awesome this, this totally takes me back to a long 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 ago this was when I was a kid yeah yeah like last year haha <laughs> <laughs> very funny <laughs> and I think it was in the mission record when they had like these like scavenger hunts where they would give you a clue and you had to go in the best and you had to go and like find this stuff i totally forget what like there was there was prizes for it but i forget what it was but there was all these clues and you had to go and find them and they were all throughout mission it was this just reminds me of Mm -hmm. it yeah we should we should almost do one i Uh, would be so down for that (laughs) left at a valley scavenger hunt (laughs) um did you guys hear um they 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 had a vote on the best comic book movie villain Oh. Yeah. So if I was to ask you, would you guys say who it is? Killmonger. Loki, Killmonger, Killmonger. Thanos, Dr. Octopus, General Zod. Well, the winner was Jack Nicholson's Joker in 1989. I haven't seen that movie. What? I know. You have not? I know. I am ashamed of that fact, but I want to rectify it. As my plastic surgeon always said, if you gotta go, go with a smile. <laughs> he was bo- he was voted best ever with 23% of the uh, in the poll. Uh he just pulled just slightly ahead of Heath Ledger's Joker. Oh, oh my god, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, how could I forget about Heath Ledger's I can't speak. Heath Ledger's Joker. Yes. That's amazing. Slight, slightly Joker. ahead of Heath Ledger's uh, Joker. And uh, the poll was done in the UK. And of course the worst villain was Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze. <laughs> All right. Uh, Speaking of superhero, um, 
the uh, actor known as Chris Evans, who portrays Captain Hell America. Yeah, I love him. Yeah, exactly, right? He's so fun on Twitter. Well, he's founding a website with a mission to inform the citizens of the United States about politics. He is it's Captain amazing. America. That's this cool. man is amazing. <laughs> he's using his title well. He totally is. Uh, the 37-year-old has yet to announce a launch date, but uh, he's an outspoken critic of yep. uh, Donald Trump. I know. So that's going to be very interesting to see what's going to happen with that. Yeah, I I mm. hope there's like a, a slight Captain America undertone of this website. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So there better be. So that's pretty. That's good. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of um, inter- uh, politics, uh, did you guys hear there's a conservative Bible project? This is done by conservapedia.com. Oh, I haven't. Tell me more. Conservapedia.com is essentially a conservative version of Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, Gross. It's, it's pretty much a stupid thing. But it's, a, it's an online effort to rewrite the Bible to suit to the contemporary conservative of today. What? Oh my god, I did hear like, about that. This is like an actual serious thing. This is a serious doing. effort, yes. Have they read the Bible? It, it specifically well, says like, well, they, not to do that. That's the thing. They think that many of Jesus' quote uh, are disputed additions done by liberal Bible scholars. Ooh, so they think Jesus is not conservative enough. Well, that's because he's not. He's like... For the time, he's too much of a hippie. Super liberal, right. like. So instead, let's of, go hang out with the prostitutes, guys. So, so instead of putting his hands and healing the blind, Jesus is basically going to start saying, "I'm sorry, you have a pre-existing condition." Oh shit! <laughs> Damn. This is by a, a guy named Andy Schlafly or Schlafly. Schlafly? Uh, Schlafly, well, I don't know. Some I don't guy. know. He's the founder, and <laughs> apparently his mother is actually well known for being an, an activist against equal rights movements. Wow. Yeah, I know. Uh, Chip off the old block. This is yeah. The, the project is rather dangerous because uh, unlike, I mean, the Bible's always been kind of rewritten to suit the times yeah. in many ways, right? That's this yeah. is why the the Bibles we have today are probably very different from the original mm-hmm. manuscripts that we don't have anyway. Uh, but uh, the problem with this is uh, unlike efforts in the past that used to have experts in the field in a way mm-hmm. um, this project is going to have many non-experts that will collaborate and oh, it seems God. it's going to turn much more into something conservative and yeah. political than something mm-hmm. religious because I think in the past when people have been trying to update the Bible it's been connected to okay what were they actually meaning when yeah. they wrote this 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 sounds like it's like okay how what do we want it to mean yeah and it's 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 for me it's um it's a red, it's a red flag because there's been an ongoing movement lately and uh, if Arn Raw was here he could be much more eloquent mm-hmm. about this than I can but in the states there's been an ongoing movement to kind of whitewash history and rewrite history yeah uh, to eliminate some of the things that the United States have done in the past and oh, the, the, quickly civil, grant, the yeah. civil war was just about states rights the, KK, <laughs> the KKK was just a gentleman's club and yeah. stuff like that right it's like ah and this this is disturbing to me this uh, because you know we all know how much of an influence the Bible has and can have and it's bad enough as it is now. Mm-hmm. If you had a more conservative version of the Bible, what does this mean, right? I don't think it'll be widely accepted, though. The Bible as it is now is widely accepted. Well, but a lot of people who read the Bible are like, oh, it was written so long ago. Like, Yeah, but they, that's what they think, they right? use that history. But if you just change little subtle things here and there, you know, um, like... Um, like for example, they say you know uh, I will Jesus saying I will I will teach you to 
be fishers of people. We say, no, you're not going to be fishers of people anymore. You're just going to be fishers of men. That kind of excludes women all of a sudden, right? Isn't so, it fishers of men in the Bible? Though? I don't know. I don't know. Sure but, you know, I'm just, I'm just giving an example here because, yeah. you know. Uh, but, you know, if, if they start doing things like that. Yeah. And it, subtle changes. They're not going to have Jesus all of a sudden say, vote Republican. Yeah. But, you know, these subtle changes can be put in, 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 the, in the manuscript of the Bible. And all of a sudden, you have a different flavor. Mm-hmm. You have a much more conservative flavor. And I think that's just dangerous. Anyway, moving on. Now, we don't have Nancy today. No, it's so sad. So, we don't have a top ten. But we do have a... Mm. Ooh. I'm excited. These are my favorite. <laughs> now, we all have strange habits, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. well... Me Why for are you looking at me, Kirsten? <laughs> I don't have any strange habits. I can name a couple just relating around the dog. Me, for example. Okay, but that, no. I, I have a tendency, like, I don't know, if I'm in the gym and I'm putting, like, like like weights on, on, on a bar mm-hmm. or something like that, they kind of have to be facing the same way. Okay. You know? I, I can agree with that. You know, it, it's, it doesn't make any sense, but they also have to be almost, like, symmetrical. Yes. And, you know, it's a little quirk, right? Well, you guys have any strange habits? I don't know. <laughs> well, this 37-year-old father named Peng, and he lives in Zhangzhou, and this is in southeast China, uh, he was beginning to feel some chest pains and he was coughing. So he went to the hospital, right? And they basically did a couple of x-rays with him and they realized, okay, this is a bit of an emergency. And they determined he had a fungal infection in his lungs. Oh, no. Well, that's pretty dangerous. Yeah. Well, they were doctors were baffled because you know, as to what caused infection, and they, they realized that the fungus didn't really match local mushrooms and stuff like that. What is even snorting? Well, that's the thing. It turns out Peng had become addicted to sniffing his own socks. Oh. Oh, it's this one. And it's not just a quick sniff there. Apparently, he, he liked to take some really deep sniffs of his oh. socks after wearing them all day. So. um... <laughs> Apparently now the doctors are realizing that the spores had traveled from his socks to his lungs where they've essentially developed. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. That's... I know he was a fun guy, but come on. <laughs> <laughs> so doctors are now recommending maybe he should be using scented candles instead. Yeah, but they yeah. just don't give you that musk. <laughs> Make well, your own. How do you develop a taste for smelling your socks? I mean, <laughs> you know. The brain is you... a weird weird place. How do you develop a taste for eating plastic bags? I don't know, but it exists. Get out of here. Eating plastic bags? There's a TV show all about those weird addictions. Yeah. Probably partially fake, but still. Why have you not seen this treasure? Wait, you haven't seen My Weird Addiction? No, I think it's My Strange Addiction. Oh, it is My Strange Addiction. Where's this? Where's this strange addiction? Look on YouTube. Really? On YouTube. Oh, God. You'll see the mother load of those. Oh, yeah, there's people that eat toilet paper... That, I'd yeah. say that one's even relatively minor, just using toilet paper. Like, that seems it pretty dissolves. tame. Well, toilet paper is kind of like a soft, squishy paper. Yeah. I could probably eat. Oh, co- couch paper. cushion. There was a person who ate the couch go. cushion. Is it a lot about eating stuff? Yes. Seems yeah, that seems to be a very common stuff. theme. <gasps> really? Yeah, no, I, I think the brain can do really weird things. And being fascinated with your own scent... Is it that strange? Well, no, okay. when you really look at it, no. 
No. There's a lot weirder things out there. Oh, so much weirder. Oh, yeah, but still, I'm not saying that that was the weirdest. I'm just saying that, you know, that's kind of a dangerous thing. Yes, yes, it yeah. is. And, of course, for people out there that think, you know, uh, like I said, if you take a quick whiff at your socks because you're, you're kind of wondering what that fucking <laughs> smell is, that's not going to cause some spores to travel into your lungs. But if you do, like, paying them there and basically sniffing them every day for long breaths and everything, yeah. Yeah. then you're putting the odds in that favor. I mean, so everyone Don't kinda, do that. Everyone kind of has that weird little voice in the back of your head be like, I wonder what this does. <laughs> yeah. Everyone has that. I wonder what happens if you start yeah. a fire. <laughs> No, just kidding. Yeah. See, my weird, strange sniffing addiction is old books. Old books. Old yeah, books. It is. a lot of people they like have, the smell of old books. Or new books, really any book. A lot of people like the smell of old books. Any book, mm-hmm. just they smell so nice. <laughs> Did you know there's actually perfume that it smells, smells like, like books. books? Really? And there's yeah. a candle. Oh, it's magical. That's better than the perfume we talked about last week. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you, ladies. Well, so like I said, we don't have any Nancy, so I guess it's time for another brilliant moment. I can make up a top ten. You want to make a top ten? Okay. On the fly. Top ten. Oh. Oh. Top ten Harry Potter characters. Okay. Moving on. (laughs) Wait, you're not going to let me do it? No. It might surprise you. (laughs) Top ten most underrated Harry Potter characters. No. No. Don't encourage her. Um. (sighs) Oh. 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 Flitwick. Horse Slughorn. He he is the most underrated. Slughorn, mm-hmm. he's the potions professor starting in Half-Blood Prince, and he was also the potions professor professor and when Voldemort was in school. He oh. he he's a Slytherin, but he is like amazing because he actually cares about his students and it's I love him. Yeah. Well that was great. That was great radio. <laughs> Moving yeah, on. We have nerds in our audience. <laughs> <laughs> Things, uh, sorry, another brilliant moment. <laughs> I threw him off, guys. Yes. I threw him off. Brought to you by religion. <laughs> I'm just going to, like, pepper random Harry Potter characters throughout the show now. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> oh, I will. Okay. Well, E.W. Jackson, the Christian evangelist and failed politician, can't stop thinking about what two gay men might do in the privacy of a bedroom. I think he might not be heterosexual. Oh, well, wait till I finish the story. They sure have a strange fascination with people with people do, don't they? <laughs> they really do. On his radio show, The Awakening, he was ranting about the... Sup- <laughs> the Awakening. <laughs> <laughs> the Supreme Court's decision not to hear a case involving a Christian woman that owns a bed and breakfast in Hawaii. That woman refused to rent a room to a lesbian couple, got sued over it, and lost. Her lawyers wanted the Supreme Court to overturn that decision, but the justices decided not to get involved. Simple as that. Yeah. That's the case. Yeah. So the, and, the, the court, when the justices decided not to get involved, the ruling went back. Whatever ruling stood still yes. stands. Yes. So keep in mind, this case involves two women. Yes, I know. I caught that. I'm well, like, ooh. Jackson was furious. Instead of talking about the law, though, he explained in great detail what two men might do together in a hotel room. Oh, yeah, he... Can I just be perfectly blunt? He spends a lot of time thinking of that. It gets better. (laughs) Why in the world should Christians who have spent their time, their energy, their money, their prayers to buy a little bitty bed and breakfast with three rooms for guests... How much of her prayers did she spend? I don't know. 
All of be them. forced by the law to have two old, big, strapping men go. Yeah, but it's all men. In one of their rooms and have sex. Now that's disgusting. Or two women in a place that they probably prayed over and dedicated to God and said, "God, use this place for Your glory. Use it, bless people, and to encourage." people and to comfort people and to help people and they put their time their energy their money into it and then you've got the law come along and say yeah you've got to let two homosexuals i love how he assumes that the gay men are strapping and handsome and (laughs) well endowed (laughs) it's like i think he's thinking a little hard on this you think Hmm. Does uh, someone also want to let him know that two straight people are entirely capable of doing the kinkiest things imaginable? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> there is some crazy it's, it's, it's shit not people just, do. Not just not straight people. It's everybody. It makes sniffing your own socks look very tame. <laughs> yeah, it makes sniffing your own socks look really tame. Yeah, they always do that. They always take uh, like uh, the 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 gay couple, the gay men, doing something like that, and they don't seem to realize that you know they they use the same thing for statistics or anything like that, right? They they just uh, they just they just use two gay men mm-hmm. and say, oh, they're full of disease and the suicide rates and all that, yeah. but they never really talk about two women. It's because there's like they probably have lesbian porn on their. Well, but the thing is, it's like search. if you're talking about disease, like lesbians have the lowest rate. Exactly. Sexually transmitted diseases. Exactly. Uh-huh. And it, like we like we have the best sex, and it's best, <laughs> and like everyone fantasizes about it. So it's like you don't want to say, "Oh, don't do that," because there goes your porn search. Exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but yeah, so you you think he would maybe he's thinking a little too hard on the two big strapping men. Oh, totally. And the fact that his podcast is the awakening. <laughs> Really? really? Sexual awakening. Uh, I know. What is it? You, um, it's a rise and shine. Yeah, I, I think it's really sad. It makes me really sad sometimes, though, when you when you see people that talk like that. And it's like, oh, they probably have those feelings that, like, they're suppressing and like turning into hatred, and it yeah. just it makes me sad because I'm it like, sad. your life could be so much better if you just. Stop hating you, so much. Don't even think about it. Why are you even thinking about it? It's none of your business. It's, yeah. it's not like I'm looking at the wall right now and wondering, hmm, I wonder if my neighbors right now are having sex and what kind of sex are they having? And it better be like missionary or otherwise I'm offended yeah. or something. No, I, I, like, I, think, I think he's thinking about it because he, he is attraction to men, most likely. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the only reason you think about people having sex. You always get that feeling about the people that are the most homophobe that, you know, it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that, that's protest too much. Totally. Because it makes sense because you feel this and you're like, oh, this is bad. I'm going to mm-hmm. now basically attack yeah. this. Well, and it's interesting because when you look at love, if you like, if the way, if you love someone mm-hmm. and you say, say, I'm gay. <laughs> no. I know. And I love women. Mm-hmm. And, but, but everyone around me the society, my culture, my religion, everything says that that is wrong. Yeah. So it's not easy to turn that off. So instead, you turn it to hate. Because that's an easy switch. Really? Oh, totally. Ooh. The opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. Okay, fair enough. So it's easy to be like, 
I can't love this, but I still have these feelings. I have these strong feelings that aren't going away, so I'll twist them so you, into hate. Essentially, this person, of course, because of the religious teachings they've had, they've there's some self-loathing. Oh, 100%. Yeah, and this is why they're, yeah. they're, they're focusing on... Yeah, they're hating themselves, therefore that's and, why they're hating And sometimes the they don't even technically realize... Sometimes you don't even realize yeah. that that's what you're feeling. Like, he might not realize that the reason he has this strong feeling of hate is because he's attracted to these people. He, like, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance and, like, mm-hmm. burying thoughts. Because it's, if your sense of self is so intrinsically built around this is evil, mm-hmm. then realizing that you feel that is detrimental. If, if your whole worldview is built on that. Yeah. Huh. Hence why I'm much happier that I'm not Christian. Because when I was, I did things like that. I was going to say, yeah. I was never, I guess, like, yeah, I guess super you had homophobic. Yeah. I was never super, like, I was never really ho- homophobic. Mm-hmm. But <coughs> if I was attracted to someone, like, there were times where when I was attracted to women, but I didn't realize it. But I hated them for no reason. Mm-hmm. And then after I realized I just, I was attracted to women as well, I realized, oh, is because I liked this person and hate was easier to deal with than love. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, to my great shame, myself as, as, as a young person, I was not homophobic, but I had a hard time understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, I did say in the past, like we're, we're talking like in my teenage years and all that, when I was so very, really very young. Really long uh, yeah, yeah. Dinosaurs <laughs> the earth and stuff like I did say stuff like, I don't understand people being gay because I've never seen gay tigers or gay horses. Oh, you... But that was just sheer ignorance, um, right? That, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that, was, <laughs> that was just sheer ignorance of my... So, <laughs> so there, was a, the, the, there, was a, there was a while there where I, I started formulating a hypothesis that maybe gayness was uh, um, a form of population control by nature. Mm-hmm. Right, saying okay, we're huh. overpopulating the planet, so we need to put some gays in there, so to kind of put a cap on reproduction at some point. So I, you know, I was, you know, it was not hate. I never hated the, the gay community, of course, but I really had a hard time understanding their yeah. point of view. And I'm glad to say I've evolved mm-hmm. past that that's now. Awesome. That's an interesting little hypothesis. <laughs> but you know, that's that was my mindset at the time. Yeah. You know, I just couldn't understand. Yeah, and right? it, it's interesting because, like, I, I growing up, I, I never. It, it was never that I could never understand because I'm a very empathetic person, so it, it's, mm-hmm. I can put myself in other people's shoes quite easily. Um, Literally, I think you're wearing somebody else's shoes right now, aren't you? Uh, yeah, <laughs> always. Um, so, yeah, for me, I was never like, oh, I can't understand that. Like, like I was always like, yeah, awesome. They love the person. Yeah, 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 exactly. But but at the same time, like, when I had those feelings, I was like, mm, like I subconsciously shut them off. Yeah. This wacko, anyway, who was awakening some yes. way. Uh, they're dying breed. They're dying breed. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. when the uh, the uh, the seniors in this world are parting ways, the kids are coming up, and they're not mm-hmm. they're not homophobes. Well, the thing is, is in the past, it was so easy to demonize them because you you didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, you, like my aunt, who's in her sixties, literally thinks that gay people did not exist mm-hmm. when she was in school, and I'm like. No, they, they were, were just, just terrified, terrified for their lives. Yeah, they were because just Because they would well. be murdered if they came out or ostracized. Yeah. Like, people nowadays, it's so much easier to come out. It's, oh. it's still, there's still difficult aspects and there's hardships and 
having a community that supports you is so invaluable. But people going to school now, there's so much awareness around everything from gay to asexual to transgender. Mm -hmm. Like, everything is just so much more educated now that it's, it's harder to be homophobic. It is, although there are still a lot of pockets of people. Oh, doing, 100%. Doing uh, even in this, this very town, right? You see mm-hmm. that on a regular basis. Uh, you, see, you know, you hear the complaint often, oh, I wish it wasn't always in our face like that. Well, yes, I wish religion wasn't always in my face. Fair enough. <laughs> but, I mean, how is it in your face? I mean, unless unless you're actually constantly watching Glee, <laughs> I don't see how you... That, well, I, I how is it in your face? Yeah. It's not, it's, not like, it's not like I walk out the door here and I've got a couple of gay men all of a sudden flaunting their their, <laughs> their sexuality right in front of me that doesn't really happen yeah. so how, how I, is I it think, in your face I think for them it would be like Kirst and I at the mall holding hands oh, I thought of the same face. thing yeah well okay so, so maybe they should start thinking the other way so if you're a, a gay person heterosexuality is always flaunting in your face too yeah. isn't it you know and whether it's ads on TV or anything like that it's always the vast majority I, of I think the hardest for me dealing with has been people saying your your relationship is lesser like mm. you it's that's it's, cruel yeah it really is and it, like if you were dating a man you you would be in a better relationship <laughs> and it's like seriously have you seen some heterosexual relationships they are shit like yeah curse and i <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so gender Hard I don't think gender has any bearing no, as to the success of a relationship really or not. It really doesn't. So. And it's just, it's so heartbreaking. <laughs> and like my family, members of my family have told me like that my relationship with Kirsten, because she's a woman, is lesser than if I was dating a man. So if I walk in wearing the strap on with the big dick. <laughs> <laughs> she's a man now. <laughs> Uh, you mean the one you brought last week there? Yeah, yeah. that one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I like the that. rainbow one. <laughs> I was it's thinking the bright pink one. Oh, yeah, the bright pink one's nice. It's rib it's for bigger. her pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's definitely a struggle still. Mm-hmm. But I think our world, at least Western society, is moving in an upward yeah. direction. Because... I it, I can have my family say that to me and be like, okay, fuck you. I'm going to go hang out with my new family, my friends, who are better human beings. And who love us for us. Exactly. And there is that community that we can go to. Yeah. Exactly. So if you're so really concerned about that, but maybe they should just do an experiment. Just have a gay man have sex with a gay woman, and maybe they'll have a child, they'll cancel each other out, and have a straight man that can decorate. There we go. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and chop wood. And just going back a little bit to like the in your face thing. I know for like, for me, and I'm sure you probably, if you're talking about, you say my fiance, a lot of people automatically assume it's a man. man. Yeah. And they're like, and him. And it's like, no, my fiance is actually a woman. Yeah. But I mean, let's face it. uh, Homosexuality is about 10% of the population. So that kind of remains like you got an 80, 90% of the couples out there are not homosexual oh yeah so i think i think it's i think it's forgivable for people to assume that oh absolutely as long as they don't you know basically stick to it when you say when you say no no it's 
if it's not a he, it's a she. Oh, you know. See, I just don't correct them a lot of the times because I just yeah. don't want to get into it. And that's that's, that's <laughs> the sad part about it is when you don't want to correct them because you don't feel you don't know where it's going to go and you don't feel like getting into it. Yeah. I find I, I don't know about you guys, but as a, as a straight guy, although last week everybody think I thought I was gay for some reason. Uh, <laughs> but burly. Yeah, that's right. I'm I'm such a gay bear. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I find that when I talk to people, and, and you know, I'm not sure, they'll often use the word partner. When they use the word partner, it's almost like a, a, a hint that it's yeah. not like a, but a I him, but it's a her or, I, or, or I, another him. I don't like using that because that's a term used because we weren't allowed to get married. Yeah, and I, I don't And I'm like, really no, like she's her. my fucking fiancé. We're okay, getting okay, married. Fair enough. Because we used to not be able to say fiancé or wife because that wasn't a right afforded to us. Now it is, so I'm going to fucking flaunt it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. It's Perfect. the little things. Yeah. It's the little things. It is. All right. Was that was that it for the stories? Yes? Uh, I do have another one if we want another one. Yeah, you might as well go. Okay. Yay! <laughs> so, in 2006, Bonnie Cole, a practicing Christian, became the assistant principal at Bullard Elementary School in Cobb County, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, we're all good there. Mm-hmm. In 2014, she and other teachers began introducing children to yoga exercises that involved breathing and stretching and Fantastic. meditation in order to help kids reduce their stress and relax. Yeah, such a such a good idea. And it worked. The school reported a 33% decrease in disruptive behavior and policy violations following the introduction That's of these sessions. Awesome. And a student body is much more limber. Yes. Yes. And better breathing. But <laughs> It wasn't long before some parents (laughs) began to complain that Cole was trying to indoctrinate their children with Buddhism. Oh, shit. That was a great voice. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) They also claimed she read kids a book called Peaceful Piggy Meditation to further indoctrinate the kids. Peaceful Piggy Meditation? I, I don't I question the name uh, even though the book had a Jewish author and never mentioned Buddhism yeah it's because like I, have, I actually have family members who don't do yoga because oh when you do yoga you're worshipping like pagan gods but it's like yes the roots of yoga might be in eastern well first of all society. it just shows their ignorance because if, if I'm correct uh, Buddhism has nothing to do with yoga. I, it's, I it's have Hinduism, no idea. Right? I have no idea. It's out of India. It's Hinduism. It's not Buddhism. But it just shows you complete ignorance at this point, right? Yeah. It's like, okay. They just thought yoga, yeah. meditation, Zen, oh, Buddhism. Yeah. That's what they thought. Yep. And it got worse. One thing in 2016, parents held a prayer rally for <gasps> Jesus to rid the school of Buddhism. Oh my gosh. I hope I hope there's other people that came along, like ring, like all went into a ring around them just doing like the tree pose. <laughs> a couple of parents even prayed outside Cole's office the following day. Oh yeah. Prayer works so hard. At this point, the school board, along with administrators, should have told the parents to back off. Yeah. There was no religious indoctrination going on. And Cole... helping their children. Exactly. And she wasn't doing anything wrong. They didn't do that. Because it's in Georgia. Later that month, they shut down the yoga sessions and, according to Cole's eventual lawsuit, voted to move Miss Cole to another school 16 miles further from her home. The move to a new school added a full hour to her commute. Holy shit. Yeah. 
In the lawsuit filed in 2017, Cole said this amounted to reverse religious discrimination, Uh meaning she was discriminated against for religious views she didn't even hold. She was punished, she claimed, for not being sufficiently Christian enough for the community's liking. Yeah. Not Christian enough for the community's liking. Oh, boy. Because Georgia. Mm-hmm. Gross, gross place. You know, there's an easy way around this because uh, I'm trying to look this up right now, but i got to Google this. Um, there was a while where they actually invented a sort of Christian yoga. It was called Christoga. Oh, my God. What? Yes. Uh, That's crazy. Let's see. We'll see if I can find it. Oh, holy yoga. There's holyyoga.net. Yeah. I, I've personally never really actually done yoga, but I love meditation has helped so much with my mental health. We should get into doing more yoga. We should. Love God. Love yoga. Gross. Learn to teach Christian yoga. There we go. Uh, see? So this is... Christianity is so hypocritical. Yeah, but that's probably very liberal Christianity, doing that yoga. Yeah, but you see, as soon as they see something that may benefit them... Oh, they, they want to take it no, over. Yeah, they have no problem with... They're like you know, a virus. It, it's, a bit, it's a bit like um, like, like a Mardi Gras, for example, right? Which is kind of a French invention, yeah. and then it went down to Louisiana, and then the Americans took it over, and they started calling it Fat Tuesday. Wait, what? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Mardi Gras sounds so much better. I know, but <laughs> sounds too French, I guess. So, so a lot of Americans are calling it Fat Tuesday because that Which sounds liter- better. Well, literally, that's exactly what it's, it's translated. That sounds like that. a burger. It, it sounds does, does very it? American. Look at the Fat Tuesday special. <laughs> It does sound like a burger. Well, Christians do that all the time, you know? They just, it's like, in history, they would even do that too, right? You'd conquer a place. Instead of demolishing the temple, they just re, re, reshape it into yeah. a church, right? It's a yeah. lot easier to just do that and put under new management, right? So, it's, I know. Anyway, it's a hypocrisy. We could go yeah. on this forever and ever and ever. It's uh, really sad that they cared more about their perceived religious like control mm-hmm. than their children's health. Yeah, exactly. And the district also claims that religion had nothing to do with their decision to transfer coal. They just wanted to restore order to the school. Oh, bitches. Well, I, I, he might be right on the fact that the religion had nothing to do with the decision. They were just trying to appease. Well, but it's the religion that led to yeah, make that, that, make that the decision. Of the whole... And what they could have done is tell the parents to fuck off. Be like, if you don't like it, move your kid. Yeah. But that would be losing the money. It, it, it could have also just put a, a quick seminar to show the parents that, you know, there's nothing devilish about this. It's just simple exercise. Most, yeah. You know, even today, when you go do yoga, there's very little Hinduism in, into it unless you find a specific branch that mm-hmm. actually yeah. goes the traditional way. Most of the time today, it's like, okay, we're going to stretch here and it, now we're going to do this pose. It's about stretching. And, so, yeah. yeah. And... Like controlling your fart, feeling your like body, and yes. like learning your muscles, and yeah. <laughs> farting people's faces. And exactly. Like I just thought of that one meme with the Grinch and let it all out. Oh, okay, no, but that is me. That that gift is me. It is. That is that is my internal voice, just constant screaming. That that that's yoga right there, just letting it out. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, ladies. So let's take a quick pause, and when we come back, we'll be talking to historian Richard Carrier. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to that. So stay with us. Hi, I'm God, 
And I just want to make sure to tell you not to listen to Unapologetics on Stitcher and SoundCloud. That's Unapologetics with an X at the end. But, uh, yeah, definitely do not listen to the show. I mean, I swear to me, alright, I will murder my son. Uh, well, I mean, I kind of already did that, but, uh, don't, just don't listen to the show, okay? Hey, Lucy. Can you not, can you not call me that, okay? We already went over what my name is, okay? It's Lucifer. Alright, look, Lucy. Uh, you want to come with me? I'm going to go fuck with this guy, Joe. No, don't, don't do that, okay? Can you just leave him alone? Yeah, I'm gonna kill his family. No, don't, don't do that. I'm gonna give him sores all over his body. Don't, don't, don't do that. That's disgusting. And, uh, I'm gonna kill all of his livestock, you just, know. Oh, stop, stop saying things. Just stop. Yeah, I'm gonna blame the whole thing on you. <laughs> uh, Alright, let's go, bud. Remember, don't listen to Unapologetics on Stitcher and SoundCloud. Hey, definitely listen to that show. It's awesome. It's really cool. He's really a dick. I heard that. In a world torn apart by a lack of reason. And I think it should be religion treated with ridicule and hatred and contempt. And I claim that right. In the morning. Hi, everybody. This is Robert Stanley from the Right to Reason podcast. And if you subscribe now, you'll get free. Learn more about the broadcast at therighttoreason.com. and I know what he says and in his book. I have access to a higher authority. Now, what I want you, I'll ask, how does he know that? And by what right does he claim to know the mind of God? And if you were a serious spiritual person, wouldn't you think it was a bit much that someone said they could come before you and tell you what God wanted? is none other than a historian and he's so freakingly thorough that you can actually do a thesis just on his notes alone in his book he's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer richard carrier welcome back to left of the valley hi nice nice to be here <laughs> you say that now <laughs> richard it's been a while it's good to hear from you my friend but uh, look, some of the people have might have missed the last episode you were on maybe you'd be so kind to give us a quick bio as to who richard carrier is yeah, absolutely. Um, so I uh, have a PhD in ancient history from Columbia University and have gone into basically being an independent scholar. Uh, so I teach courses online, I publish books, I publish a blog, um, and all about ancient history and modern contemporary philosophy. I, I have two different uh, spheres and two different hats I wear uh, in that respect. But um, I have many books out. In fact, I just came out with my eighth book. 
uh, which last year or the year before, which was The Scientist and the Early Roman Empire, which we could maybe someday do a whole show just on that. Oh, yes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm also I'm best known now for publishing the first uh, book to argue that Jesus might not have existed to pass peer review at a major academic press. So mm. um, that's kind of like made me the, the enemy of Christianity even yep. more than I already was. So uh, <laughs> that, that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm very popular. But I've also, uh, in, in as part of that project, because that was actually a postdoc research grant uh, that I did, a fan, fan-funded research grant. Part of that is a, I wrote a book on uh, historical method uh, and epistemology of history, which is proving history uh, Bayes' theorem and the quest for the historical Jesus, mm. uh, and that sort of is a precursor book. But it, that's really all about historical methods and how do you actually answer questions like did certain things happen or exist and so on. Fantastic, and we will dwell into this. But before we go to this, I got I got to take a left field uh, question here. All of a sudden, Richard, between you and me, my golf clubs. Uh, you, you said you're a mythicist. You don't think Jesus exists, and I completely agree with with you. But in the field, are people coming around to this idea? I, I get the feeling there's a lot of, you know, they don't want to speak up, but I think... Oh, yeah, there's a lot of that. Uh, well, I mean, they're good signs. It's too early, right? So um, we have a model uh, of, of having... This happened before. So we've already, we've already been through this uh, with the patriarchs, with Moses and Abraham and so on. Uh, in the 70s, Thomas Thompson published a dissertation uh, arguing that they were mythical, that they didn't exist. And then everybody tried to destroy his career, and there was massive backlash, and everyone was say, are citing the consensus. No, the whole consensus says they exist. How, how You're just this fringe scholar and so on. Uh, fast forward 10 to 20 years later, it's the mainstream consensus yeah. now that Moses and Abraham are, are, were mythical. Um, I don't know that the same thing will happen for Jesus, but I, I do predict that within 20 years, if you follow the same timeline, mm-hmm. um, that the the possibility, the hypothesis that he didn't exist will be respectable. Mm-hmm. Uh, with it. Even, even by scholars who, who don't agree with it will say, yeah, that's a viable possibility. I don't side with it. But um, And we already see this happening. I mean, Philip Davies, who's a, a prominent uh, emeritus professor in this field, a well-known author, and so he wrote an article uh, basically lambasting people for criticize for, for basically trying to dismiss it as fringe and saying, no, look, I'm a historicist. I think Jesus existed. But actually, they have a case like this. This yeah. There is a case to be made. Um, of course, he's not defending the amateur crank stuff, the Internet conspiracy theory mm-hmm. arguments, yeah. which is lots of terrible stuff online about arguing that Jesus didn't exist. That is bad. Um, but I, that's what the point of my trying to get my book published was to try to push away, get rid of all the garbage stuff and see what's left over. And that's, you know, that's why I try to do my best to come up with, is there anything I can produce that would pass peer review that, that isn't crank? Uh, and that resulted in on the historicity of Jesus. And so scholars are looking at this, now some of them are hostile to it because they're threatened by it. Um, but others are willing to say like, okay, like I don't agree with the conclusion, but I, I agree that this is actually a plausible theory it deserves a t- place at the table along with all the other contradictory theories of the origins of christianity that are respectable in the field um so that is happening i mean when i published the book in 2014 mm-hmm. so m- mind you this is the first time in history the theory has been bounced around for like 100 years but 2014 is the first time in history a peer-reviewed defense of it was ever published mm-hmm. uh so so that starts the clock really um and so we're only you know five years on since that and at the time there were about four of us uh fully qualified phd people with the right uh, phds in the right field and so on who were mythicists who were saying like yeah we actually think there's not a historical jesus or not enough evidence to believe there is mm-hmm. uh, now we're up to 12 um oh. if you include um well actually we're up to about 10 9 or 10 
uh, of at least agnostics, historicity agnostics, and 12 if you count uh, scholars like Philip Davies who say that it is, it's, it's a plausible theory at least. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, was telling, I was telling the girls exactly that. I said, you know, uh, the thing is, uh, some people will say you're, you're a French historian and stuff like that, but you're so bloody thorough. I'm, I'm looking at one of your books right now. I've got it on my bookshelf, <laughs> Hitler, Home, and Bible, Christ. Uh, right. You're so bloody thorough in your notes. It's like you, you cannot fault Richard Carrier on his work. This is the thing, right? It's like how how are you how are you going to dismiss his work? You can't because he's so bloody thorough. So they have to start taking you seriously at this point. And I think I think you're right. I think you will be vindicated. It might take a while because it's Jesus. Moses. It's a bit more easy to dismiss mm-hmm. because he's not the Lord and Savior. But Jesus might take a little longer. Well, yeah. I think you when will. we know, uh, you know, Thomas Kuhn, you know, the theory of paradigms uh, through history, we look at like revolutions in consensus always start with tremendous opposition and take really a long time and mm-hmm. and uh you know one of the points that that kuhn argued is that well if you look at the actual course of events for the, all these revolutions and consensus through all these different fields um it's generally like you have to have the old guard die off practically and so yeah. that the new guard can come in and and look at things with fresh eyes and they don't have the the prior commitments that, that sort of lock them into these things so so you kind of need a new generation of scholars to really push the ball forward uh, and we do start to see this uh, Raphael Lataster is a freshly minted PhD who's uh, on board with the uh, non-existence of Jesus or at least ag- he's a historicity agnostic uh, and so we, I think this is probably what we're going to see is that as the younger generations come in and take over the field, uh, you're going to see much more uh, acceptance of the idea over time. And it'll be the old curmudgeons that, that keep poo-pooing it, basically. And uh, we've seen this over and over again. That's what happened with the Thomas Thompson affair and so on. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Excellent. So let's move on to our main topic today. We were talking, uh, we wanted to talk about uh, with you about the uh, histories of characters and how, from a historical point of view, do you determine if this person is more than just a myth? Yeah, indeed. Um, for people who are interested in this, uh, want to really dive in. Um, now, in my book on the historicity of Jesus, I use Alexander the Great and Socrates as uh, examples. Socrates is actually a much better parallel for Jesus. Alexander the Great was a ridiculous example. We'll get to why that is in a minute. But nonetheless, it's an example often cited, uh, which is incredible, But uh, as, well, as we'll see in a moment. But, um, but those are the examples that I use in that book. But people then keep throwing other examples at me. So I've blogged on all these others. Um, and so people who go to my blog at richardcarrier.info, that's .info, um, just richardcarrier, one word, .info, go to my blog, there it's got, you know, uh, all my my books, my blog, my Facebook and Twitter, everything you would want to find out about me and, and follow me and, you know, follow my work and stuff, but you can search, uh, search my blog there, there's a search window on the right-hand side, just type, type in Spartacus. Okay. Uh, and so bring up my article on Spartacus, because what I've done with that one is the first paragraph, I... I keep expanding it, so every time I write another article, I put a mention in there. So I've got, uh, a, a, so I've, people keep naming these guys. Well, what about uh, uh, Hannibal? What about uh, you know Julius Caesar? What about Herod and Typus? What about Pontius Pilate and so on? And so, uh, so the whole first paragraph has links to all the other articles that I've written nice. for all these other characters. So if you've got one, you can just go in there. Oh yeah, I want to see about this. I want to see about that, and so on. So I've got you know written about it. Um, and then, of course, you know, I've written a lot on mythical characters that we know didn't exist. Osiris, we know didn't exist. Uh, Dionysus, 
uh, certainly didn't exist. Hercules is another, um, and Romulus probably. Like, there's, there's, we can talk about like why we're pretty sure Romulus is a fictional character, uh, but um, and historians have no trouble with this, right? There's, no one's really deeply concerned about challenging the historicity of Romulus uh, or Osiris or Dionysus and so on. So we do, we do know about uh, examples, and we have other examples throughout history. So we have like John Frum and Tom Navy, who were the, the mythical founders of the cargo cults in the early 20th century. Um, we have Ned Ludd, who is a character that the Luddites invented to justify their anti-technological uh, rebellion, uh, as it were. Um, so we have lots of examples of mythical people being created that came to be believed to be historical. Uh, so we have precedents to go on for that side as well. So then it gets into the question, so how do we tell the difference? What is the evidence? And that, that's, I assume, what you want me to go mm-hmm. into. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the one thing that I point out in several of these articles, including particularly uh, the, Han- the Hannibal article is a good one to look at, where I t- really go into the method. Like, okay, let's look at why these, these people that people keep trying to claim are historical why these arguments don't work and because it always says like well if you're going to doubt jesus then you'd have to doubt hannibal and that would be ridiculous you know so it's always the that will be ridiculous uh, yes. right it's, a, it's an attempt at a argumentum ad absurdum it's a, an attempt to argue uh, to the absurdity of the position but the reason these other people that they keep throwing out there don't make this argument work is because we actually have pretty good evidence that they existed uh, and such that if we had for jesus what we have for these other characters it wouldn't be doubtable. We wouldn't be doubting the historicity of Jesus. But in addition to that, all of the people that they name, uh, none of them were worshipped celestial saviors. Mm-hmm. So people forget, like, Jesus is in his own category from the, the, the earliest text we have mentioning him, which would be the letters of Paul, right out of the gate. He is a celestial savior. He is a demigod who exists in heaven and talks to you in by revelations, uh, and he's he's an immortal super being. Um, you know, so he's he's a pre-existent super being. So that's Paul makes very clear that Jesus has existed since the beginning of time, uh, and so on. So. The, you know, Hannibal was not a worshipped savior god, right? So it's like you, you can look at all these examples where already out of the gate, when you look at the category of people that are like Jesus, worship savior gods with these sort of uh, wild myths quickly arising about them and so on. When we look at that, that, those people usually don't exist. This is the problem. It's like So we should be suspicious right away. We should say, well, okay, if Jesus starts out of the gate as a celestial savior god, um, we need a little bit more evidence that he existed than uh, than than just the fact that people claim he existed, <laughs> and so that's different from Hannibal. Where if someone says, "Well, there was this general in the third century who attacked Rome," and you go, "Well, that's not the, when when we find that in the sources, that usually turns out to be true." So it's they're already starting at a different footing, right? So we're already talking about different reference classes of people uh, that already sort of throw doubt on the historicity of Jesus in a way that it doesn't on Hannibal or Spartacus or Socrates and so on. Yeah, because the, re- um, the repercussion of Jesus not existing as compared to Hannibal are completely different. That's also true. Uh, well, that that's not which relates to the psychological, <clears throat> the psychological and emotional reasons people will resist the idea that Jesus didn't exist. It's not a valid point in terms of historical methodology, right? The, the, the fact that we we want Jesus to have existed is not a valid historical argument. Um, but it is one that, that people resort to. Like, like, I can't tolerate the possibility that Jesus didn't exist, so I need to rationalize uh, my my certainty that he did exist. And that leads to arguments like uh, E.P. Sanders, I talk about in On the Historicity of Jesus, where he says, uh, basically says that the evidence for Jesus is as good or better than the evidence for Alexander the Great. Um, 
which is the most phenomenally false claim probably <laughs> ever in the history of Jesus scholarship. And it astonished me that he would be so certain that that was true. Like he, he never checked, right? Like this is a common thing with Christian apologists and Christian scholars. They have PhDs in theology or divinity or, or biblical studies. They don't have PhDs in history, mm-hmm. but they, they imagine them that qualifies them as historians. And so they will make ridiculous statements like this about Alexander the Great that no ancient historian, no PhD in ancient history would ever make that claim because they would know right off the gate that that's not true. Is it is it possible that this person might have studied at Trump University? <laughs> <laughs> no, E.P. Sanders has like a respectable degree, a respectable CV. He's got a really good publication record. Um, no, he's a legit scholar. It's just his degree is not in history. And the, and the common problem that we have is that, that a lot of these Christian scholars who go and get these theology degrees or these biblical studies degrees um, mistake that as qualifying them as historians. And so they'll often make these yes. mistakes like this rather than saying, well, okay, wait, I'm not a historian. Maybe I should check with historians yeah. before I make a claim like this. Uh, and it, that just doesn't occur to them. It's and a, so it would you be end like, up with this. It would go be ahead. like someone talking about biology who isn't a biologist but is, say, like a physicist. You'd be like, oh, well, I know science, so then I know I can speak on biology. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Um, it might even be more like uh, you have William Lane Craig uh, publishing theories in cosmology and <laughs> theology journals. Yeah. And it's like, but you're not a cosmological scientist. Yeah. Like, you know, you know <laughs> mm-hmm. you are, totally. You know, that, that is actually a thing, you know, uh, Dr. Craig. There yeah. actually are scientists who do this. <laughs> but yeah, no, your, your example is also good, too. Uh, so, um, so it matters uh, that you should actually they should be uh, you know more careful with these kinds of claims. So let's get about let's talk about Alexander the Great. I have a whole paragraph in it with citations and all the footnotes and stuff in on the history of Jesus. But in short, we I mean we have archaeological evidence. We have actual inscriptions from the time of Alexander the Great. We have coins. Um, we have an actual document. We actually have his technically his death certificate. Hmm. Uh, we have a a um, clay tablet uh, that records his death in uh, Sumeria uh, around the time of his death. Um, so we've got all of these things, but we also have contemporary, many, many contemporary authors mm-hmm. who wrote about him. Yes. Um, and we have uh, early historians who wrote about him uh, and cite their sources. So they actually name what their sources are. So we have lots of really good evidence for Alexander the Great. Also, he like physically transformed the world. Like the, the fact that Tyre, the city of Tyre, is connected to the mainland is because Alexander the Great filled in the mole with debris from hmm. from the city so that he could attack the city. That's been there since then. It wasn't there before. It's been there since. So we have like things like this. So that, yeah. but this is, you know Alexander the Great conquered, you know most of the Western world. Like he was all the way from uh, from Greece and Egypt all the way to the borders of India. He conquered Afghanistan. You know that's like it's, this is probably literally the most famous person in yeah. ancient history who left tons and tons of evidence for that reason. So he's a really bad analogy for Jesus. And this is what like, uh, you know, his historicists will say that's correct, which is that actually Jesus wasn't that famous. He didn't conquer the world. He wasn't a king. Um, he might've been actually a nobody whose story was exaggerated decades later. And so therefore we, we shouldn't even expect Jesus to generate the kind of history the kind of historical evidence that Alexander did. And that's a valid point. I think you can't argue that because 
the evidence for Jesus is so much worse than the evidence for Alexander the Great that therefore Jesus didn't exist. Mm -hmm. That that would be an invalid argument as well on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it, it's just ridiculous to go the other way and say that there's just as much evidence for Jesus as for Alexander the Great, and that's just just not at all true. A better example is Socrates, and I, I use this in on the historicity of Jesus. I mean, the analogy is Socrates never wrote anything. Um, only his disciples wrote about him. Um, and he's, uh, you know, basically just he was a famous wise man in one little location uh, in Greece, you know. So um, there are a lot of similarities there. But we have tons of eyewitness attestation. We have several writings uh, by his own disciples about him. Um, we have, again, we have, we have uh, historians writing about him, citing their sources, and so on. Uh, so we have pretty good evidence for the existence mm -hmm. of Socrates. It's exactly the stuff we don't have for Jesus. Mm. So Socrates is better attested. Uh, and so you can, you can go character after character after character throughout history, and, and, and it comes out the same way. We always have better evidence for these people that we're sure existed, which is, in fact, why we're sure they existed. Uh, which is the point that really I bring out in the Hannibal thing. So the reason we're sure Hannibal existed is that we actually have all of this good evidence. And the reason we, we can doubt the historicity of Jesus is that we don't have that kind of evidence for Jesus. Is it is it possible that, so let's take Socrates, for example, there, that the reason we think that Socrates uh, is so better documented is because he was sort of famous as opposed to Jesus who kind of wasn't? Yeah, and that goes back to the same point with Alexander the Great. One can say... Uh, now, technically, the way the Gospels write about Jesus, uh, they write about him as being at, even more famous than Socrates. Yeah, especially yeah. John, right? So, um, so, but you could say, you could say that, well, they're exaggerating that fame. That wasn't real. He was actually a nobody. If you look at, like, the, the writings of Josephus, now there's a passage in Josephus that supposedly mentions Jesus that I can show in on the historicity of Jesus. It absolutely is a forgery. There's no way he wrote about Jesus. But set that aside— he writes about numerous messianic movements. He writes about, about six different characters that he writes about that, that sort of started these messianic cults that were suppressed by the Roman military. So you would have to ask, like, why isn't Jesus, why isn't the Jesus movement among his list of examples? Like, what, what, why is that? And you could say, like, well, yeah, these guys were way more famous than Jesus. Jesus and there might have been, like, a dozen more of these guys, and, and Josephus only writes about the, the most popular ones. Jesus was one of these little minor figures that hardly anybody noticed or wrote about. Uh, and that's, that's totally plausible. I think that, in fact, that has to be true if Jesus existed. He had to be a relative nobody with almost no followers. Almost no one noticed him. He was outclassed by numerous other more famous messianic pretenders. And it was just this sect that grew, this tiny sect that really clung to him and grew over time you know a lifetime later there's enough of them to start writing stories and making stuff up about him and you know glorifying him and exaggerating his fame and so on well, yeah. so but, that's but, an entirely plausible theory of historicity but, but so the question you, you, is you, how do we tell the difference but then you, you have the problem that if that's the case that jesus was a nobody then there's no way hell that nobody would just be resurrecting people walking on water without nobody noticing well, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, you know, mainstream, most mainstream scholars will agree that therefore those stories about Jesus have to be false. Uh, and that is the difference. It's worth pointing out that there is a key difference between how do we prove someone or something existed or happened versus what details about that person or event uh, or thing are true or, or, or that yeah. we can determine from extant evidence. And those are two different things. Yeah. So like, we have tons of evidence for the existence of Socrates and the existence of Hannibal, but how much can we claim to know about 
Socrates and Hannibal. That, that gets in, that's a much more complicated and difficult thing where there's a lot of disagreement and uncertainty uh, that are acknowledged and accepted. Um, so so those are two different things as well. And it's, it's perfectly acceptable to say that, yeah, many things said about Socrates and Hannibal were false. Uh, and you could say the same thing about Jesus. Mm. Yeah, for example, Alexander the Great, for example, was said to be seven foot tall, which I really doubt. <laughs> you know, yeah, oh, we have so many wild legends about him that he, he had a, a glass diving bell that he went to the bottom of the sea with. And, you know, it's like all kinds <laughs> of things. So, yeah. But I, th- I think a lot of Christians have a tendency to use Alexander, especially because Alexander was essentially worshipped as a god as well. So they're kind of making that link. Well, Alexander was worshipped as a god, and Jesus is a, is God. What, yeah. what, what's the difference, right? Yeah, and you could say the emperors too. Uh, now they none of them were specifically savior gods. Um, they were in life. Uh, they were they were hailed as savior gods because they would come and save a city from some. Uh, marauders or enemies or whatever um or they just wanted to you know uh, to praise him to get flatter him to get on his good side um so we have that like like caesar augustus was called a savior god and so on while, while they were living um but they were they didn't generate uh, savior cults and it's a particular class of religion in uh the ancient west which was this uh, there was this, a lot of parallels between the jesus cult and these other savior cults the actual savior cults Osiris cult, Dionysus cult, and so on, uh, that they were based on this idea that you could attach yourself to a personal savior and therefore secure a blessed afterlife, that you'd, li- you'd, you'd basically get the keys to paradise after you die. Uh, and that involved a baptismal initiation. It involved communal meals that, uh, that, that merged your, yourself with the god and, and the god's fate and so on. So there were a lot of these parallels. Christianity very much looks like one of these sects. Like someone basically said, let's make a Jewish version of one of these sects, and bam, what you get is Christianity. Um, and all of this I talk about and show the evidence for in On the History of City of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. So, so, and of course, throughout history, uh, the 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 story of Jesus essentially changed. I mean, t- just before you came on, we were discussing this uh, this article that right now conservatives are trying to rewrite the Bible to make it sound more conservative and less hippie like. And <laughs> okay, th- th- yeah, this is actually an actual effort done by uh, conservapedia dot Sure, I'm not surprised at all. But yeah, yeah go so on. <laughs> th- this kind of stuff, and you as a historian, you can confirm this kind of stuff has happened probably several times. Already oh, yeah, in the history yeah, yeah. of the Bible. I, I, people always ask me, like, what translation of the Bible is reliable? Which one should I use? And I tell them they all suck. <laughs> um, uh, all, all translations are interpretations. Mm-hmm. By definition, a translation is always an interpretation. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and basically, you don't generally have secularists translating the Bible. All Bible translations are made by religious believers who have a particular sectarian slant, even if they're not consciously putting that slant into their translation, they are unconsciously doing so because their their whole worldview, their whole sectarian worldview is creating a baseline of assumptions that they're making as they approach the text. Uh, so so all translations of the Bible uh, are, in, are in some way misleading or inaccurate, and which is why it's so important uh, if you really want to study this that you've got to learn the language, the original Greek. Yeah. Mm, yeah, okay. Um, going back on uh, the history of some characters, is there some kind of a formula or threshold that you guys as historians come together and say okay we got one two three pieces of evidence for this for character x so we think at this point that yes he probably did exist i mean what's that point where you start saying okay this guy looks more like he's actually real instead of a myth yeah it's well first of all it's always a spectrum right it's always a probability. Yeah. you can everything increases the probability so the question usually is like how probable 
does someone's existence have to be for you to just say they existed? Like at what point do you become confident that they existed? And that will vary from person to person, like how probable they need it to be. And yeah, it's going to vary widely in terms of the quality of evidence that they have. Um, if you take, let me think, like Apollonius of Tyana is an example. Apollonius of Tyana, for those who don't know, is this other sort of like savior sage. He's a Pythagorean savior sage um, who lived between the 60s and 90s AD. Um, and later, like a, a century later, uh, a lot of these writers started paralleling him to Jesus. They, they wrote these treatises saying, yeah, Jesus is just like Apollonius. Um, now, there's a lot of questions as to whether the, the, we even have reliable sources for Apollonius. He might not have existed. He may have been completely made up. Um, the only evidence we have, in fact, like, you know, apart from the wild legends that come like over a century later that, that really are not believable at all. Um, we have no contemporary evidence of his existence, none at all. Um, the only single item of evidence we have that I think at all makes it even above 50% that he was an actual person uh, is Lucian of Samosata in 160 AD. Now, so 160, we're talking about a guy who died in the 90s. Uh -huh. uh, so we're already a really long way out. Mm. Yep. Um, he writes this treatise. It, Lucian has some great books. He was basically the Mark Twain of the ancient Roman uh, Empire. And so nice. he would go around like debunking like these ridiculous charlatans and stuff. And he, he wrote this book called Alexander the Quack Prophet, uh, where he found <laughs> this guy called Alexander in what is now northern Turkey, starting trying to start a cult, which actually was a successful cult that lasted for hundreds of years. Uh, we actually have artifacts from the cult. Uh, oh. And what he did is he um, basically got a snake that he rigged up with a puppet head, a human puppet head, and uh, ran through a bunch of scams to convince people that this egg, this this snake was actually a demigod that was born out of an egg and that it could speak prophecies and hmm. things like this. Wow. And, uh, you know, so so Lucian comes here and he he like he does a whole like um, uh, James Randi on it, right? Like nice. so, like he exposes exposes the the fraud and all of this stuff. Um, but that didn't stop the cult. We have statues of this snake god. Like it, it, it goes mm -hmm. for hundreds of years. But anyway, uh, the town was renamed by the empire, the emperor for it. Uh, their coins were minted by the empire wow. in honor of this god. Like it was it was a successful cult. It just was pretty small uh, relative to you know what would dominate in the Middle Ages. Um, but uh, anyway, he writes this treatise about it, and it's this old personal memoir of, of his adventures and encounters with Alexander. Uh, Alexander of Abonotychus is his, uh, the way he's called. Uh, but early in it, he's giving a sort of, Lucian is giving this sort of short bio for Alexander, and, and he mentions just sort of one sentence offhand, and he says, and he was, uh, he studied under uh, one of the pupils of Apollonius of Tyana. Oh. So, uh, so here we have a reference to uh, at least like two degrees of separation yes. to an actual historical person. Now it's not concrete because if you, if you just anybody can walk around claiming to be the pupil of this non-existent person. So uh, and and we're not even talking about the pupil of that person. We're talking about the pupil of the pupil of that mm -hmm. person. So this is not great evidence, right? It's not solid evidence, but it, it I think it tips the scales over fifty percent, but leaves us in this gray area of uncertainty. Like I, I'd say maybe sixty percent, seventy percent would be my guess is the probability that Apollonius existed. I'm you know, which is not a really high percentage but at least it's you know it's above 50 50 mm -hmm. well hold, yeah. hold, hold on there richard i got I, I gotta fire back here i'm gonna play devil's advocate here for a second why why sure. would you why would you put this guy into the 50 percent plus category but if you if you have letters of uh uh tacitus talk about uh what was it uh they the brought james the brother of jesus all of a sudden that doesn't 
qualify as evidence for Jesus. Yeah, that's a good example. Um, that would be Josephus. Yeah, uh, sorry. Not Tacitus. But um, yeah, Josephus wrote a book. Uh, Josephus was this historian, his Jewish historian who fought in the Jewish war, uh, which was this huge rebellion against the Roman Empire in the 60s AD. Um, he was a general in Galilee, incidentally. Um, he, was the, he, he was in charge of Galilee. And uh, in the 90s, he wrote this extensive 20-volume set history of the Jews called The Antiquities of the Jews. Uh, and in the book, you know, in the later books uh, where he's getting to the period where there was a Jesus, there is a passage in there where he talks about the succession of high priests, and one of them uh, succeeds another in which there's this sort of scandal where this guy named James is executed uh, extrajudicially, and everybody gets outraged because it's, it's he shouldn't have been executed. It was against the law and so on. And um, there's a phrase there that says that it's this James is the brother, or basically it's the brother of Jesus. Uh, and the text as we have it now says the brother of Jesus who was called Christ. That's it. It doesn't mention anything else about what this Christ is or why James, why we're being, why it's being mentioned and so on. Uh, now, if that were authentic, um, then we have a number of questions to ask. It's like, well, where did Josephus get this information? What does he mean by the brother of Jesus? Because we know from the letters of Paul that all baptized Christians were the brothers of Jesus. They were all brothers of the Lord. That was probably actually the earliest name for the Christian sect. But anyway, they definitely all believed that they were the adopted brothers uh, of, of God and therefore the adopted sons of God, and therefore they were all the brothers of the Lord. So does he mean a biological? Does, did Josephus get his wires crossed and hear that he was the brother of the Lord or the brother of Jesus and then mistakenly think that was a biological relationship? Or... Did he use like some Christian apocryphal legend and mistake it as history, history and write it in there? Like, so there's a lot, we just really don't know. Even if it's authentic, we can't establish that he had a source independent of made up Christian legends long after the fact. But the biggest problem is I don't even think the line, so who was called Christ, it was even in Josephus. I don't think he wrote it. And there's actually really good evidence uh, of this. And uh, you mentioned my book, Hitler, Homer, Bible, Christ. Mm -hmm. That book I put all of my peer-reviewed history articles that, that are in journals in that book um, so that would be so they'd be accessible um, uh, I'll talk about I want to make a, a stump speech about that in a moment but it has to do with social justice and access to academic <laughs> academic work but anyway um, so my article in the Journal of Early Christian Studies uh, on this passage in Josephus is the one to consult I just wrote a blog about it in fact where this uh, really amateur Christian apologist didn't like the article and tried to attack it Oh, good and luck I with go that. Through <laughs> item by item as to how amateurish his, his response was. But point being is I don't think that that line was there. So I don't think that evidence counts. But even if it was there, it's not enough. It's too late, too vague, unsourced. We can't use it, basically. So it, it leaves us in the same sort of gray area. And then when you stack on that the fact that unlike Apollonius of Tyana, we have the letters of, of a follower, a literal direct follower of Jesus, Paul, um, who, of course, Paul only knows Jesus as a revelatory being, this celestial being who reveals himself to you from above. Um, and he, Paul's writing about 20 years after the origins of the religion. If we had that for Apollonius of Tyana, and we had 20,000 words by this, this follower of Apollonius, in, in which he never mentions Apollonius being a human on earth. He only mentions him being uh, becoming incarnate in some sort of mystical way. He only mentions him revealing his teachings through revelations and hidden messages and scripture and so on. Um, we would have 
we probably lower the probability of Apollonius or Tyana, even with the Lucian reference. Yeah. The probability of Apollonius or Tyana would drop to uh, one in three at best. And, and that's actually what I end up with Jesus. One in three chance that there was a historical Jesus, which is really not that low a probability. It's a decent chance that there was a historical Jesus. It's just not above 50%, which is really pisses people off because people don't like to even entertain the possibility that there wasn't a historical Jesus. That's very But to get back to uh, the mention of, of scholarship, um, for people who don't know, when you publish these articles in academic journals, this is a big scandal, I think, uh, and there's been articles written about this being a big scandal, is that we don't get paid for it. The scholars get not a dime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the journals, which are these mega corporations, or for-profit universities, which is the same thing, uh, they turn around and they basically try to like destroy anyone who distributes it for free and uh, charge like $35 per article, for a, even for a PDF. Wow. For one, for one you know, and some might charge, might be generous and charge only $25. But in any case, it's absurd amounts of money they're asking. But one thing I note, and I, this is advice to all scholars out there, um, Usually your contract, and I've so far everywhere I've published, the contract says the same thing, is that you can republish the article yourself without any further permissions or payment required in an anthology of your own works. And it usually says that, in an anthology of your own works. Mm. Um, well, this is the day and age in which you can publish your own book mm-hmm. for free. It costs nothing. You go on CreateSpace, you can create your own anthology of your own works, there we go. put all your journal articles in it, charge like 20 bucks for it, still make a profit, but now someone gets spends only twenty dollars, and they get numerous articles uh, of all of the scholar they like. So, um, FYI to scholars out there, uh, you you can actually end round this this scam that's going in academia now. But then, anyway, that's a whole se- separate side stuff. But th- doesn't that kind of open the door also for would be scholars or quacks that pretend to be scholars to do the same thing? Well, uh, so what I'm talking about are peer re- articles you get through peer review in legitimate academic journals. So yeah. if you're doing that, you're not a quack. Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. So if, if you have enough articles to fill a book or, or fill half a book even um, that, that you've gotten published through peer review in legitimate journals, uh, you're not a crank anyway. I mean, you might be a crank in addition <laughs> to that, but, but at least those articles mm-hmm. won't be crank. Yeah, because oh. they'll still be available in these online well, articles. Yeah, it's just you're releasing it. Yourself. Exactly. They've they've met the standards of the field, uh, and that's been confirmed through through legitimate peers. Having said that, I should also point out that every field, including physics and medicine and everything mm-hmm. else, and history and everything, every field has also bogus journals that that represent themselves as uh, legitimate peer reviewed journals. So, one does have to be cautious. Someone can claim they have a peer reviewed article, but it's yeah. actually a, a sham journal. So that, that that's a big in, in, for, another massive for profit mm-hmm. industry yeah. out there. Aren't they called uh, pay for play? Like, yeah, that's yeah. that's the most common form. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, there, you know, I think there are some like creationist journals that are not pay for yeah. play, but are <laughs> equally bogus. Uh, so yeah, so that exists. Um, so we have to be aware of that. But but there are ways to like determine which journals are legitimate. And which that's an entire not. new show altogether, right it there. It really is. <laughs> we could just it's talk massive. about an entire show. Of those absolutely. In fact, you could bring up. Um, there was the big uh, attempt to create a scandal in gender studies by uh, yeah. a certain yes. libertarian libertarian philosophers. Um, <laughs> that was that was actually the the a perfect example of shitty shitty pseudoscience mm-hmm. on their part, on the critics' part, um, because they they 
basically violated all the principles of science in terms of how you generate controls. Yeah. They didn't control for shitty fake journals, basically. So, so they basically proved that you can get any ridiculous thing published in a shitty journal, mm. which is actually true even in physics. But they used it as an argument that, well, gender studies is bogus because you can get anything published. No. If that were true, physics is bogus because there are bogus physics journals too. So yeah. there's a whole there's a whole thing you talk about in terms of that, and also in terms of fraud. Like the only their their paper was actually rejected by most legitimate gender studies yeah. journals, which is a thing you should point out. Uh, but also the only legitimate journal they got any bogus paper in was not a ridiculous paper. It was a paper with fraudulent data. And this is a big problem in science. There's lots of, like, you can find examples of fraudulent articles published in physics journals and medicine journals. But they, when this, the fraud is uncovered, they withdraw that, right? Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> showing that you can get fraud uh, into a legitimate journal <clears throat> is not going to discredit the field because if that were the case, all fields are discredited because it's mm -hmm. been done on every field. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's, you know, that's another soapbox separately to it but <laughs> yeah no, but totally. the, the point being is one needs to be aware of this the fact that these fraud fake journals exist and and so on so 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 for example this website uh, is it is it answers in genesis that that's is that, like a, <laughs> is that like a fraudulent site to you or <laughs> oh, no it's it's 100% it's true everything they say <laughs> come on velociraptors oh. eat coconuts man it's tool science <laughs> yep it's tool science they help build the ark <laughs> <laughs> so, Richard, in conclusion there, essentially, what determines a character's historicity in the historian's eyes and the community of, uh, of historians, essentially, the answer is it depends, <laughs> essentially, well, is what you're saying. Um, physical evidence is great when we can have it. Uh, inscriptions, papyri, like documents that were literally created during the time of the person. And examples, we, we have a papyrus letter literally signed by Cleopatra. It has really? her, like, wow. she, she scribbled Damn. her signature on it. That's cool. Um, so, you know, that's great evidence. That is so you know, that's, cool. that's some of the best stuff you can get. Yeah, because we don't even have a table uh, receipt for carpenter tools for Jesus, you know? Yeah. You think, <laughs> you, think if, you know, I'd, I'd love to find a little chair that was made by Jesus. That'd well, be kind of cool. Well, he invent them, so. <laughs> well, you know I mean? <laughs> Here's the thing, like, like, so the question is, like, what... I mean, you, you can say, like, well, they just didn't care about preserving records, but there would have been things like this. So this, it's important to note, like, one of the things that I did when I did uh, did a year of papyrology, uh, advanced papyrology during graduate school under Roger Bagnall, is one of the world's leading papyrologists. Uh, and one of the many things I did for that was work on these tax receipts about this from this farmer in Egypt. Um, and so that we have this farmer... We have uh, his writings. We have the scribe who's writing the tax receipts for him. So he's describing um, what taxes are paid and so on. And this farmer just kept this one sheet of papyrus. So every year he would go back and have another receipt written on the same sheet. Mm -hmm. And so we have multiple years of these receipts, of these tax receipts. Oh, cool. People paid taxes. There were records of it. Wow. Uh, so so there, if Jesus were historical – he would have like this kind of these sheaths of these these materials like with these tax receipts um there would be census returns like there would be actual census documents that would re list him and so on um now we don't have any reason to expect christians would preserve these documents but they could have like it's theoretically possible that they could have reverently preserved all of the you know financial documents mm -hmm. of the jesus family they could have those documents. Would existed. they? I mean, it seems to me like if you actually believe that the guy in front of you is the son of God, 
And wouldn't you be taking every precaution? Wouldn't you be writing down every bloody word? Saving <laughs> yeah, these- it's, a, it's a valid point, except that this was an apocalyptic cult that literally yeah. thought the world was going to end any time. So they didn't really give a shit about like posterity. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they like they weren't. There was no reason to preserve documents because God's going to burn it all up. Yeah, exactly. Tomorrow. Yeah, but I mean, they, uh, did, they did say, according to legend, it did save stuff like the, uh, the the Holy Grail and stuff like that. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, what, bit, you know, a better I've... analogy would be the letters of Paul. Why do we have those? Right. Like, if they didn't care about uh, writing stuff, why did pa- Paul write so many things? And the indication is that, like, Paul does not seem to be doing something unusual. That means all these other apostles were writing stuff. Where are their letters? Right. So, we, we yeah. know stuff is being written by Christians for the purpose of communicating and preserving information. Although for them, it was like immediate stuff. Like they weren't thinking like of Christians a hundred years from now, they were thinking like Christians next year, you know? Um, So, but then, but still someone preserved some of this stuff, but that means they chose not to preserve all the other stuff. So even though this church is generating tons of documents and tons of talking about Jesus and so on, most of that stuff was destroyed um, or just left rot. Like not, not necessarily they deliberately destroyed it. They just didn't preserve it. And so there is a legitimate question is why? Like why why were only and only some of Paul's letters not we know he wrote other letters that we don't have. So why why is that the only thing that survives from the 50s? Why don't we have the letters of Apollos? Why don't we have the letters of these other apostles running around? Um that's a legitimate question too. Was there well this I know we're getting into the realm of speculation here, but do you think there might have been some kind of um concerted effort to hide some some things in the early in the early church well concerted effort you know under air quotes like what does that mean um i there wasn't really like an organized conspiracy to go and destroy stuff um what there was was you have christians in a particular sect the sect that eventually became the dominant one that controlled the the imperial uh government um and therefore did decide what would be preserved or not. What they would do most of the time, and sometimes they did hunt things down and destroy them. There, there's evidence that Christians were, uh, like this particular sect uh, did not like the gospel of Peter and so actively went around trying to get rid of it. Um, and basically pulling it out of churches and, and getting rid of it, probably destroying it in some fashion. So we know that happens sometimes. Uh, but mostly what it is is that, you know, you've got a certain number of scribes who have a certain number of hours, a certain number of papyri, you have to decide, okay, which things are we going to mm-hmm. copy and which things are we just going to like toss? Like, you know, so, and, and that's generally, most of it is that. Like, most of it is like, we don't like this document. We think it's heretical. So we're just not going to preserve it. We're just going to let it rot and disappear. Yeah. Like, we don't really care. Uh, and that's what happened to most of the literature was it was disinterest more than active destruction. Okay. Uh, so, um, but of course we don't we don't know this for sure. Like maybe they did actively destroy some things, but it was generally independent bishops and and scholars acting on their own through a common uh, idea. So we have examples of there's tons of forgery in Christianity. Like in fact. 90% of Christian literature is forgery um, really? for about the first, like, 300 years. Wow. Uh, and th- that means that we have, like, 40 Gospels. We have, like, hundreds of forged epistles. Um, we have an entire forged correspondence between Seneca, the, the Roman philosopher Seneca, and Paul. Someone forged a massive collection <laughs> oh of correspondence. Gosh. The first fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, no, if you want to talk about fan fiction, oh, my gosh. Fan fiction. See, this is a whole... Now I'm going on a digression. <laughs> Fan fiction caused Christianity, and not in the way you think. Let me tell you this story. So uh, this is – I love this one. So you know Genesis. There's mm-hmm. a line in Genesis, just one line. I think it's in Genesis 6, 
um, where they're just telling the story, telling a story, blah, blah, blah. And then they say just this one sentence. It says, like, and there were giants there this day. Or no, what was it? And, and the angels came down and had sex with women yeah, and the yes. giants. Yeah. And then it moves on. Like it doesn't even follow up. It's like, and you're like, yeah. whoa, whoa, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. what? <laughs> Wait, you can't just like throw out a sentence like angels came down and had yeah. sex with women and there were giants, and then just move on. Like, but that's what happens in Genesis. There's this one. It's one sentence, and it's a really weird thing. So um, obviously, they, well, that's a thing that they couldn't let stand. So someone wrote an entire book off of that line. They took that one line, created fan fiction, essentially. Of course, they're presenting it as real, not yeah. as fiction, called Enoch, uh, the Book of Enoch, oh. which is the entire Book of Enoch is basically just someone took that one sentence and created a massive, their own whole story out of it, their whole own, you know, book of the book of the Bible. <laughs> That's amazing. Is, it, and, is that one in the Catholic Bible? Uh, Enoch is not. Okay, no, I, I just know I that in the Catholic it's... Bible there's one with, like, tons of angels. Uh, I don't, yeah, I can't remember which, which books are in the Catholic one, but... Um, the Book of Enoch is in the Ethiopian church. Oh, okay. uh, so people who are interested in that. Um, the Ethiopian canon is like a massive collection of bizarre <laughs> scriptures, but uh, Enoch is in there. But um, but Enoch is what Christianity is based on. Christianity used Enoch and treated it as scripture, like really? actual authorized, you know, inspired scripture from God. Wow. Uh, the entire theology of Christianity is built on the back of the basic principles in, that are developed in Enoch. Hmm. So uh, so if, it had, if someone hadn't written fan fiction on that one line in Genesis, we would not probably not have the Christianity that we have today. We That's might have so some other weird. form of weird. That is weird. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and if someone didn't write fan fiction, we wouldn't have Fifty Shades of Grey. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> We're not we're not getting to that rabbit hole. I don't know, thank you, uh, Richard. Just go, before go I look back and read classic slash fiction. Oh, Kirk's hell yeah! Slash oh, I'm Harry Potter. Uh, I'm Harry Potter fan fiction. That's, I'm solidly Harry Potter. How fan did fiction. you manage to turn this into a Harry Potter? I'm talented. I'm muting you. I'm muting you. I think my favorite part is how the fan fiction actually led into more deeper conversation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Richard, I, there's one little thing I, I noted just before uh, I'm looking at the clock there. Before I let you go, uh, uh, you said there were uh, 40 uh, gospels. Uh, yeah, and and pretty that we know about. We don't actually have most of them. Do, we have them by mention or description. Do you, do you have a favorite by any chance? No, no, no not really. Although, well, uh, I know I know some of them are really crazy. Yeah, actually, I mean, sort of there is. <laughs> um. Uh, okay, hold on. Uh, I'll just make some notes so we can wrap things up uh, after this. But to answer that, uh, technically my favorite, um, simply because it's so bizarre, is the Infancy Gospel of Jesus. Oh! Um, and uh, it's usually called the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. Yes, uh, yes. It's, it's purported to have been written by Th the disciple Thomas uh, about the childhood of Jesus. And this is the weirdest freaking thing that you will ever read. It's basically Jesus as a toddler, and he it's basically scarier and more messed up than The Omen. Oh, my <laughs> God. If, if, if someone were to make a movie out of this, it would be horror. It would be classified under horror. <laughs> oh, that's So Jesus brilliant. is this toddler who is God, right, but who's a total arrogant ass. <gasps> and just, like, when, when kids, like, there's, there's, an, there's a scene where a, a kid in town bumps into his shoulder, 
and he curses him to death, and he dies oh right there gosh. in the street. Uh, and he's actually killing all these kids. He's killing his teachers, and is doing all these horrible things, doing these miracles, and then complaining <laughs> about how you know all these. Why do I suffer, you like pathetic mortals, and all of this stuff? To the point that the townspeople come to his parents and beg them to leave because their their kid is killing all their kids. <laughs> oh you know, it's, it's, it's just the weirdest uh, story. But anyway, that's my favorite. That's, wow. a, that's a great movie idea, by the way. That was a fantastic <laughs> movie idea. I think, I think it would make a good it would make I, a I good think, creepy I think they, they are making James Gunn is making <laughs> Patreon <one>. goal. Patreon <laughs> goal. <laughs> well, no, like there's actually a horror movie being made that's like a superhero, but it's if they were evil. Oh, man. As a child. Richard, yeah. I, I could talk with you for hours. Uh, my God, thank you so much for helping us with this today. And if people want to find out more about Richard Carrier and what you, all your stuff, you, the wonderful stuff you're doing, where can they find you? Uh, RichardCarrier.info. Uh, you can get my Facebook feed there, my Twitter feed, uh, or find them from there. Uh, my books you can purchase through there. I have recommendations of books. And also, if you go to categories, there's a category drop-down menu. Go to classes. You can see what course I'm teaching in any given month. Every month nice. I teach an online course for lay people. So mm-hmm. you don't have to be a college student or anything um, mm-hmm. in ancient history or philosophy. And in fact, April... Uh, my course for April uh, will be on the historicity of Jesus. So if people oh, nice. want to really study my book, ask all the questions they want, and I also present more materials that give the best case for Jesus' historicity, and we'll go through all of the things um, all month long. It's a great opportunity to really dive deep into this and ask all the questions you want and see all the best arguments, pro and con, and all of that. Um, that starts April 1, but you can register and join any any of the first 10 days of the month. Uh, and... Um, so that yeah, that's that's. But every month I do a different course, and that's the one that's coming up right now. Fantastic, fantastic, Richard. Before I let you go, I gotta have you say hi. This is Richard Carrier, and I took a left in the valley. Hi, this is Richard Carrier, and I took a left at the valley. And that was extraordinary historian Richard Carrier. I definitely feel like I learned a lot. Oh, yes. And I every really want to go every I really want to go read that gospel he's talking about, like the one that like, the, the gospel of Thomas there? No, 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 the one the one that's like Christianity's actually like Yes. Oh, yes, yes. In the book of Enoch. Yeah, Enoch. Thank you. Absolutely. That one. Every time I talk to every time I talk to Richard Carrier, I just want. I just wish I was like twenty years younger and I could throw myself into history. I I I don't know. And then the man just thrills me when it comes to history. It's never too late to learn. Exactly. I know, but I'm a dumbass. I you know I can't can't keep I can't keep up with these people. It's okay. Just (laughs) take a little longer. And everyone learns at different rates, anyways. What What was interesting about this is uh, I've often said that you know um, as atheists we need to be able to understand christians mm-hmm. and i think uh, richard was talking a bit about you know how they don't want they don't want jesus to not be well yeah he is the linchpin to their yeah salvation message now I, i've told the story before but uh, I'm, I'm just gonna refresh maybe for our audience here um as a kid i was a huge fan of dinosaurs i still am right yeah. i still am um and dinosaurs the the this, the story of dinosaurs and the image of what they are evolved through time. Yes. So as a kid, you know, I wrote, especially T-Rex was always my favorite. Everybody's uh-huh. favorite was T-Rex. Yeah, of course. As a, as a child, I rode this dinosaur in the battle. You know, I fought against him <laughs> in my fantasies and yeah. stuff like that. He was my buddy, right? He was my buddy. And and, and several years ago, um, one of the uh, archeo- uh, prominent paleontologists, Jack Horner, came up with the uh, hypothesis that Instead of being the lion of his era, T-Rex was maybe a scavenger, a big turkey vulture. 
That hurt me. Aww. It physically hurt me. I was in pain. I did not want to see T-Rex dethroned. And this is how Christians feel about Jesus. They don't want to see Jesus dethroned. This is why they fight tooth and nail. That's why Velociraptor is my favorite. They'll never be dethroned. Maybe so. Exactly. (laughs) But even the Velociraptor was not what you see in Jurassic Park. It has feathers. I know, but it's actually tiny. That's okay. But but the the point was is this is why as as uh, atheists we have to realize what Christians go through when we attack the historicity of Jesus or the borders of the Bible or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's their entire world. It's Jesus is their buddy mm-hmm. is their king. They don't want to see the king yeah. on the throne. Changing people's minds hurts. It does. Like, it does. Changing your mind hurts. And I, I totally understood that with the example of T Rex. So I totally understand where they're coming from. Yeah. So anyway, but that's for another <laughs> another time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, ladies, for being with me today. I'm gonna go read Harry Potter fan fiction. Oh, <laughs> but you have to go to work, and I want to spend some time with you. Well, you can play on the Xbox. I can put my feet on your lap. I mean, we're still doing a show here. You can, you can, you can't start enumerating your stuff you're doing after the show on the In show. pajamas, because I don't want to work clothes. Oh, I wonder who Nancy's killing right now. Thank you so much. Do you wish it was you right now, Kevin? Sometimes I wish. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you to Richard Carey for being with us. And thank you for listening. You can always follow us at leftandvalue.com. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, at LETV Podcast. Send us a five-star review where you find us. It helps us and find uh, it helps others find the show. And thank you to some of our patrons like Freethinker215. Yeah! And you can, uh, if, you, if you want to help us continue the show, you can always go to uh, Patreon slash LETV. <laughs> Yeah, pay for the coffee. <laughs> That's why I'm crazy. Okay, yeah. coffee. So, and some if you newer, guys, better equipment, too. If you guys have any questions, even though we're past our five-year anniversary, go ahead and ask them. Yeah, absolutely. You we like always, talking about ourselves. You can always send or us an email. Or suggestions for future yes. shows. Yes. There's anything like, oh, they'd be really cool if they Let, talked to this person. Left or Valley at this. Outlook.com. Or you can always go through leftatvalley.com and send us a message through the, that site. Perfect. Coming up. Okay, where's my schedule? Next week is my birthday, so you guys have the week off. So we're not doing a show next week. That kind of makes Kevin. me sad. That does kind of make me sad. <laughs> like, I don't get to hang Sad out. it's my birthday? We or? get to sleep in. Yes, I'm sad you've tra- traversed the solar system once again. Once again. <laughs> once again. Uh, the week after that, we'll have uh, Joel Backen. We'll be talking about corporations. I am so excited that should about be interesting. this. And after that, we'll have Dr. Matthew Hussinger. We'll be talking about conspiracy theories. Okay, so so like, what are we talking about? Like the roots of conspiracy theories or like actual conspiracy We can delve through all oh, of them. Okay, I'll have this to plan be this fun. one out because we'll have- I grew up. In a oh 11 truther, Alex yes. Jones watching. I'm sure you'll be there for that. Waters one. turning the frog gay kind of house. We'll have Dr. Hector Garcia talk about his latest book, Sex, Power, and Partisanship. Yay. We'll have Dr. Del Rey coming back to talk Woo. about how to renegotiate your relationship. Oh, so exciting. We'll have Sarah Austin, transgender woman and YouTuber. We'll have our old friend David Fitzgerald coming Woo. back to talk to us about the history of Moses. And we'll have our old friend Anthony Magnabasco. Oh my gosh, so, yeah. so fun. He's coming back. To give us another lesson in street epistemology. I am so excited. He Ooh. is so fun to talk to. All right. Well, in the meantime, you guys go have fun. And Nancy, don't forget to eliminate the fingerprints or whatever you're doing. Exactly. Always wear gloves. Oh, she knows. She's a veteran. Get some lie <laughs> if you're needing to get rid of the body. All right, guys. Until next time. Free and the phone <laughs> <laughs>
best to keep it on the hush. Don't All right, I'm in. We're, not, we're, not, we're no. talking about underrated Harry Potter characters. No! <laughs> we have a historian here. We're not going to waste his time with Harry Potter. So we can go over the history of magic. <laughs> oh. See, this is what I have to put up with. <laughs> I, w I was telling the girls that when you uh, came here uh, several years ago, I was telling the story of you having your scotch and you had some fruit flies in your scotch. Yeah. <laughs> telling the girls that you were fishing down the fruit flies with a carrot stick, and I was like, no, bitch, we can get you down scotch. And then eventually you just like, ah, oh, fuck it, I just downed the whole thing. <laughs> A little string to the carrot stick and like oh. fishing for fruit blood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had a good time. We had a good time with Ripley.